This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program, as well as all previous episodes, are available as a podcast on the RSN website, also via warfradio.com, the iHeartRadio app, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or Spotify. Just search for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. This is our last episode of 20. 2019, and once again, we're not bringing it to you from Australia. This week, we're bringing it to you from Portland, Oregon, the home of the Portland Sockeyes in the United States Australian Football League. We have got a big episode to round things out. Uh, we'll be catching up with Michael Curran. He is the head coach of the Irish Banshees, who are your 2019 AFL European champions. We'll be giving you a lowdown on that, plus the AFL Island Women's Finals, as well, all our interviews from the USAFL National that were recorded a couple of weeks ago, including with the Division One champions. That is Sarah Maggione of the San Francisco Iron Maidens, the Division Two champions. We speak with Erica Saki of the Philadelphia Hawks. The USA Freedom Coach will be taking part in the AFL International Cup 2020. That is Christina Lakata. And... Some dub her the GOAT, the greatest of all time, even in just the short three-season history of the AFLW. She is a two-time premiership-winning co-captain, a two-time best-on-ground in the grand final, a two-time W Awards best and fairest, a two-time AFLPA MVP in the AFLW competition, we speak of none other than Erin Phillips, her interview coming up in just a moment's time. And to give you a little bit of background on that, Erin uh, originally attended the USAFL Nationals for the first time last year in Racine, Wisconsin, on a very chilly Sunday, like what she saw, and came back for the 2019 version in Sarasota, Florida. And she was there for essentially three days. She was there the Friday night, which she held an informal Q&A session with Christina Licata of the USA Freedom, and uh, about 100 or so people uh, attended that uh, Q&A. She then uh, watched football on Saturday on both the men's and women's field and then paid attention to the women's field on the Sunday morning before she had to uh, fly home at lunchtime. So it's our privilege to catch up with Erin again that coming up in a moment's time and we apologise for a little bit of the audio quality. It was a bit windy but we're out there on the open fields of Sarasota, Florida right up against the sidelines when we were having our chat with Erin. As we mentioned, this show will be taking a two-month break. We hope to be back around about uh, January just in time for the start of the AFLW season. To continue the run of the longest running podcast on women's football. That's enough of me yakking. Let's get to the superstar. This is our interview with Erin Phillips on a Sunday at the USAFL Nationals in Florida. So the scene is a Sunday. It's October 13th. It's a sunshiny day. It's a ground of Aussie rules football, but it's actually in Lakewood Ranch, Florida, for the world's biggest Australian football tournament, the USAFL Nationals. And here for a second national tournament is the co-captain of the Adelaide Crows in the AFLW, the one and only Erin Phillips. Erin, just before we talk about your career personally, did you ever think a few years ago here you'd be in an Australian football ground in the United States? No, it's um, absolutely fantastic to be here to see some quality football from both the women's and men's and yeah it's absolutely perfect conditions down here in Florida and, and the deck over this is probably the best grass I've ever seen in the world so it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Let's step back for the career just a moment and going back pre-AFLW, pre-WNBA etc. When 
you were first announced that you're going to play AFLW, there's a few South Australians that jumped on the forum and said, actually, I played against Sarah when she played junior against Erin when she played junior football, and she was actually pretty damn good. What were you actually like as a junior footballer coming through the suburban Adelaide competitions? Uh, I mean, I, I was, you know, just a kid who loved to play footy. Grew up watching Dad play footy, so I was just, I guess, just love getting in amongst it getting in the in trying to take a big mark or you know getting in the in the middle of things and yeah I just I just love the game I was a very passionate kid about football and um, yeah like I said I just love to play love love the smell of deep heat and um, you know love the pre-game rev up talks by the coaches so I just was a little footy nut it's ironic that we talk about that the moment that you obviously had to stop playing 13 like a number of girls did that this very year uh, a, a then young woman at 15 Penny Killaroo who took the VCAT to court which started the whole ball rolling for youth girls actually won the VFLW Premiership this year with Collingwood as a coach Dur- during the years where obviously you couldn't play you focused on your basketball career what was your attitude to Australian football back then? Was it more just to block it out because you weren't allowed to play it? Yeah, I don't think at 13 you really understand what, you know, what's going on and why you can't play. So, you know, I really enjoy playing basketball and so, you know, that was a great sport for me to, to play and even though it wasn't football, I still loved it and something that I wanted to keep playing and eventually... Um, it ended up taking me, you know, everywhere around the world. So it was something that I ended up making a career of from something that, you know, was taken away from me um, pretty young. When did the spark happen that, okay, you really wanted to get involved in the AFLW? We, we understand, obviously, as an adult, you played one game. It was a bit of fun. It was at Football Park. It was a showdown. You played in that game where it was wing to wing. But when the AFLW was slowly starting to become a reality and they announced the competition would be 2017, was it a process that you reached out or through contact someone reached out to you? Yeah, no, the Crows ended up reaching out to me and, um, uh, yeah, from basically a couple of phone calls from um, from Phil Harper and then um, one from Andrew Fagan. I was absolutely, you know, ready to, ready to go. So it was exciting. I, I wanted to... To obviously be a part of it and you know lucky I end up deciding to play. How long does it take to feel comfortable in that environment and I'm not even talking just from the physical aspect because you were an elite athlete playing in the WNBA but you're coming into a competition where th- there's women when we talk about Chelsea Randall, Kelly Gibson then were the marquees in Adelaide, women that have been playing senior football in the state leagues for quite a number of years and not only were obviously used to the game but the friendships that have built out of the prior national championships. How long does it take to feel comfortable that A you felt you've earned their trust and you're part of the group? From the first day, yeah, it wasn't, you know, I'd been playing, I think I'd probably earned their trust and respect from um, what I've been able to do on the basketball court and how I've um, carried myself and, you know, I try to be a true professional each and every day that I come into the footy club, so yeah, it was basically straight away. The word that I'd heard on, on the street from a source is essentially you almost took over a, a pseudo-coaching role from the first training session, helping run some of the drills. No, I, no. It was Beck Goddard's, um, Beck Goddard's job. And, um, you know, if there was time when, um, you know, a bit of leadership or whatever needed to speak up, you know, I, I would. But as far as taking drills, no, it wasn't. How would-
would you go? I mean, we're taking you away from the basketball court. What are you really like as a footballer? How did you handle that hide? I didn't really... I didn't really... I didn't care about it. I just didn't even listen to it because I was getting to play a game that I loved and that's all that I thought about is um, I'm one of the lucky ones that didn't um, wasn't too old enough that missed the boat um, and I was able to play a game that I loved. It wasn't ever about personal... Um, achievement, personal, how would I go personally, it was, I just wanted to, to come and play and play my role for the team. Do you feel for the likes of, we, we now have the first father-daughters coming through, Millie Brown, the daughter of Paul Brown is playing at Geelong, it's been announced, uh, Isabel Grant, uh, the, uh, the daughter of legend Chris Grant will be playing at the Bulldogs, do you feel for them with, with the spotlight that's put on them from a younger age at 18? No, I don't think so. I mean, like, like I said, they we play a game that we love and I think those girls are going to just be the same. Obviously, that you know, they're their own person. Obviously, they had um, great fathers that played football, but, you know, I think I expect them they're going to come out and um, do really well and enjoy the game that they get to play. And I think it's fantastic to see some father-daughter signings, the first were they first two ever so yeah it's fantastic for them. As everyone knows you have that outstanding debut year AFL, uh, PA MVP, W League uh, best and fairest uh, taking out the grand final. What were your actual own personal goals when you were coming into season one? What were the box that you were trying to tick off? Just to have fun. That was that was that was it. Just to have fun and win a premiership. They were the two things that I wanted to do and those are the two things that I did the most and yeah the other individual accolades are all they're all really special but it's it's not why I play football in particular I just wanted to to win games and like I said I I was one of the lucky ones that um didn't miss the boat at 31 to to play this game so you know it was only certainly to to enjoy and not take it for granted on a lighter side, I know the question you've been asked the most uh, here at the USAFL Nationals, while well, the players that have been mingling with you has been about the knees. I'll ask about something else. How is the sleep? Because you've had a new addition to the family in Drew. How's the sleep been? Uh, sleep's been all right. I've actually um, hadn't have to get up to him too many times. It's kind of Tracy's job while she has to feed him. I mean, I'm pretty useless, so... My job is to get up early with the with the twins when they get up. So um, in our family, Tracy and I have different roles to play with that. So it's been it's been good so far. Luckily, Drew's a good baby, and even getting Tracy some sleep, which is good. As we say, there is Drew, uh, Brooklyn, Blake, and your unofficial fourth child, the unofficial adopted child, and Noffy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, although she's you know she's becoming more independent, so. Um, I do. I still worry about her like a mum, but uh, she went overseas for about six weeks all around Europe and um, I was checking in on her occasionally to make sure that, you know, she was she was okay and I was telling her all the all things like don't talk to strangers, don't accept any drinks from anybody, like <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I was being a mum for her then for sure. Uh, I remember asking you this question on uh, your Instagram live post, which was about a week after the grand final, which you actually replied, but I'll ask for the answer again. Okay. I asked about your wife, Tracy, of course, was a talented sportswoman in her mm -hmm. own right in her basketball career. I asked the question, did you practice kick-to-kick at all with her in the backyard? Did you try and tempt her to come across to the game, even like here at the USAFL at a grassroots level? Well, Tracy's five years older than me, so she's probably miss the miss the boat uh to play flw but i think in if if this game was around earlier she definitely would have and i did one time she told me she wanted to to play and i told her to hold on to the ball while i ran flat out and tackled her and 
she basically said, no, I'm not doing that. So um, I said, well, there's your answer, <laughs> playing, playing footy. So, But um, she absolutely loves it. She still calls the mark a catch, but that's something I'm willing to work around. So let's talk about the American side of the game. This is the second Nationals that you've been out at. When would you actually first become aware of the United States Australian Football League? Um, it was a few years ago um, when I saw that there with the, the Dallas, uh, I think at the time they were called, it wasn't the Dallas Stingos, they were the Dallas Magpies. Magpies yeah. So, um, you know, my dad played for the Magpies, so I thought it was kind of funny how the Magpies are in Dallas and I live in Dallas now. I thought it was a sign. So I went out and watched them. Um, they had a bit of a competition with Austin Houston down in Allen. Um, there actually wasn't any women's at, at that point. And then um, kind of just been following him ever since. And um, if I wasn't injured, I was planning on running around with the Texas Heat this year. So I'm pretty disappointed. Of course, we know the Texas Heat made up of a combination of sides, such as the Houston Lone Stars, which Sonia Lovell's been in charge of, and of course, down there trying to build a program up out of the Austin Crows, which we've seen that you've attended a number of Crows games as well. Um, yeah, no, I I've, I've, was out in Arlington last, or maybe it was early this year, um, watching, uh, they had a, a mini tournament as well. So, yeah, it was great to see women's Aussie rules football, um, you know, in the United States, and, and hopefully... Um, hopefully can keep growing and you know as my job obviously with social media and stuff like that keep raising awareness in Dallas and in Texas that there is Australian rules football and hopefully get some more numbers out. So the first chance you would have had to lay eyes on women's football in the United States Australian Football League would have been Racine, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. which was last year. Conditions slightly different. I think it was two degrees Celsius when the morning kicked off. That's footy weather, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. That's Ballarat weather. Um, what did you? What was your first impressions? What we actually? I should ask. What were you expecting to see when you came to the ground, and what did you walk away with? I honestly, I didn't expect anything. I just wanted to. I was just curious to see curious and really excited to see uh, Aussie rules footy um, especially played by women um, I mean they were just like all the women's football that I've come across they were absolutely fearless they tackled so hard they um, and they absolutely loved it um, so I was really really impressed um, you know the skill level um, compared from, from then until now has, has gotten um, better um, and it's exciting to see that there's, there's continual development uh, within the USAFL for women. As we speak at the moment, the game being played is between Seattle and New York, some growing programs. Uh, New York's been around for a while. Seattle just only had, I think, uh, six players represented at this ground just three years ago. And now they're in Division One and a chance of making the grand final. You had a chance to have a look at a game uh, late yesterday, the Philadelphia Hawks. One Danielle Marshall was running around in that game. She's the first uh, American woman signed out of the USAFL to uh, be given an AFLW contract. What did you think of her performance and what do you think of the prospect, depending on how the fixture pans out, that you'll be up against the first American woman playing in the competition? Yeah, it's exciting and, and hopefully she she's in the last. I mean, she's, she's a quality player and I think there's a few here... Um, She'll be definitely won't be the last uh, US player to come play in the AFLW because there's a lot of talent, um, talent that could be, you know, really good players in the AFLW within a few years. So it's exciting, it's exciting to see. You've had the opportunity to, to hook up with Christina Licata, who is the coach of the USA Freedom, will be playing in IC 2020 next year. 
here. Um, what advice and what are you hoping to build in that relationship going forward? I guess trying to impart your knowledge on what's happening with US women's football to grow that. Uh, just obviously, I'll just keep in contact with her and I'll be following her and her team. Um, as they continue on and hopefully I'd love to get her down to Australia and um, can be a part of the Adelaide Crows. I think um, she has so much knowledge for the game and passion for the game that she could, you know, teach us some things, not just obviously us teach her some things. She's got huge footy, uh, footy knowledge and um, from the sense that I get from her is that she's such a good person. The players love playing for her and... You know, for me, it makes a great coach. So I'm excited to obviously keep continuing that relationship and keep bouncing ideas from each other. And I said to her, I'd love to, to bring an AFLW team of some sort and play the freedom, either you know here in America or in Australia or both. It would be fantastic. So something in the future we can work on. And we know with the Adelaide Crows in the past, of course, obviously when it comes to female coaches, Beck got out over the first two years. And of course, now as assistant coach, Narelle Smith, who's been a long time coach in the SA system in multiple premierships at the Moorfield Park Cruise. Um, what's the question, bar your knee, that you've been most asked about by the players? Because on Friday night you had uh, an informal Q&A and then the Saturday you were here throughout the whole day. You were smiling, taking photos, signing autographs. What did the players want to know specifically from you? Well, one was how's your knee and two, when will you be back? <laughs> They're the two questions I get the most. So, um, yeah, basically... I don't know when I'll be back, hopefully by the season. Um, if not, then, you know, hopefully by the next season. But uh, these girls are just, you know, they're big big fans of the AFLW. They, they follow it, and I was actually really surprised to, you know, to hear how much they really did follow and how much exposure the AFLW does get over here because I think it's, it's really important. Um, you know, it's important for them to be able to see... Um, you know, the pathway which they can get to um, as well. So it was great to know and see how much knowledge they did have for the AFLW. It was fantastic. If you were to look at the style of play that's underway at the moment, not even talking AFLW level, let's talk uh, Sanford W level, VFLW, etc. From the players you've seen so far, realistically, how many do you think, if they decided to pack up their life and come to Australia, could make it at that level? Uh, I think I've seen probably about... There's probably about 10 I can think off the top of my head. Um, and there's probably some more with a few question marks. Um, yeah, there's probably, I would say 10 that I could, I could definitely sit here and say, yeah, they could, you know, given they could come and, and you know, these girls don't, don't get to train um, as often as they probably would like or if they're available. I mean, I know getting a football field in, a, in the United States is, is pretty tough any, in any city. Um, but I think in, in an elite environment and, um, you know, I think these girls can transition and, and definitely play. You talked to me um, when we were doing a call yesterday about our change from racing to here. The game's opened up a bit more and spread a bit more, uh, perhaps through the development and also the different weather conditions. What do you see, if, if you were to give advice to USA about as the next step to try and help the women's game, what's an element of the game you'd like to see worked on next, just a minor element, to try and keep continually improving? Um, look, I don't think there's anything specific. I think we've seen growth, I've seen growth in all areas, so um, there's nothing I would say other than keep, keep doing what they're doing. Obviously, repetition is always 
key to, to any kind of improvement. But look, I think they're you know doing a fantastic job, and um, these girls like are improving every year. So in that sense, there's nothing extra I would do other than just keep doing what they're doing. Just by luck, the WNBA season roughly finishes around just at the same time or just before the USAFL Nationals. You talked about you'll love the chance to play for the Texas Heat, but should it be a few years down the track, here comes the Nationals again. Do you see yourself in a coaching role here one day? Oh, <laughs> uh, I have no idea what I'm doing next week, so um, there you go. I don't know. Um, I'd love to stay a part of the, the AFL and... Um, love to be a part of sports, whether it's here in Australia or here in America. Uh, I don't know. Like that's, I haven't thought about it that far. I'm, all I'm thinking about is playing footy till I can either, you know, not literally walk anymore, or two, I don't love it anymore. Whatever comes first. Let's talk about the knees, since everyone's asked the question. Uh, you're still on the comeback. Can you talk about what you've been doing through the, I think it's the Michael Johnson Centre, to mm-hmm. try and build up the strength and, and to speed up your comeback? Well, I haven't been working with Michael Johnson, so I'll squash that rumour. Um, it's at his performance centre um, in Dallas, so just doing my rehab and, um, yeah, basically all the all the fun, boring stuff to get back to, to being able to play elite sport. I guess we'll look for advice to hand over to players because we know Chloe, she is going through the same process as we speak for her to try and get back. But many of these women, whether they're playing AFLW or out here at the moment with the USAFLW, are going to come where a serious injury is going to happen in their career, knee, ankle, otherwise. What's your advice to them, particularly when you're going through the dark days where you go, look, this is difficult. Am I going to get back? Am I going to be the same player I once was? Um, those days, are, you've just got to know that they're normal. Um, they happen to all, you know, to all athletes, um, and they're just a part of um, what's going to make you more resilient when you do come back. And it's how you handle those days that are really important, just as important as the good days, really. So, um, you know, I just say to people, just don't get, don't get down um, on the days that that probably don't feel like your knees um, ever going to work again or whatever. Just go do something fun. Go. Um, you know, go to a movie, go do something and, and make that, turn that, I guess, dark day into something positive. But just know that that's normal. It's all part of the rehab process and kind of makes you appreciate your body when it does work 100% and you've got to take care of it. Finally, one last question. When you started to really take off in your basketball career, it was, it was a period where, for example, for the Opals, uh, when a FIBA World Cup came around or the Olympics came around, everyone paid attention and then the attention kind of went away as it was with mainstream sport. How does it feel to you now that some years later you're playing Australian football and you're a recognised name in mainstream media, your photos everywhere, you're st- and just here again at the USAFL, you're stopped by everyone that wants to chat with you. How do you feel about how that hype has changed from when you first began your sporting career? Um, I don't really, you know... It's it's really nice, obviously, getting to, to chat to people and, um, you know, it's nice to be obviously recognised, but um, I just play sport because I love playing, playing the sport and all that extra stuff just, you know, I just kind of embrace it and um, enjoy the fact that I get to just to chat to more people and 
talk about it, our experiences together. And um, but it's great in the fact that you know if if I'm recognised, then it's AFLW or basketball is recognised, and that's that's the main thing. Well, Erin, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football Radio. We wish you all the very best in your comeback. We hope to see you out there for AFLW 2020. Thank you so much. Now, a little footnote to that interview. We do have to thank Erin for being very generous with her time. Uh, originally, that interview was only meant to be seven minutes long, as she asked for during the halftime break, and we went well into the second half of the game that she was watching. So it went for about 20 minutes. And uh, to be honest, I could have kept going and going and going with uh, more questions. But again, to Erin Phillips, thank you very, very much for being so generous with your time, particularly when there was a lot of people um, wanting to ask her questions and take photos, etc. when she was there for that weekend at the USAFL Nationals in Florida. We've got more coming up in the USAFL Nationals in Florida, interviews with the Division 1 and Division 2 champions and the USA Freedom Coach coming up right after this. Been playing for a while Sweet kicks Cause footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au Gotta go the extra mile Sweet Kicks Football you're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. This is our final episode of 2019. Quite a number of these interviews were recorded a few weeks ago at the USAFL Nationals in Sarasota, Florida. We're going to catch up with the Division 1 champions, then the Division 2 champions and the USA Freedom Coach right now. Joining us now here at Lakewood Ranch in Florida, it is Sunday, October 13th. A person we spoke to, let's go back to September 2016, one of the founders of the San Francisco Iron Maidens women's team and Sarah Maggione. Sarah, do you remember going back to just over, what, three and a half years ago? You're a team that's just kicking along, trying to score in the USAFL Nationals. Does the reality sink in you've just won your fourth title in a row? Not really. It's taking a lot of heart, a lot of effort, a lot of commitment. I don't even live in the state that my team practices, yet I know that I need to stay fit and my team is putting in work and the chemistry is there. It's so much work from every end. Just to give an idea of your commitment, what state did you end up moving to in the end? I'm, I'm flying in from Georgia and I, was, I spent two years in Montana. So it's a long ways. It's actually closer to get here to Florida with a one-hour flight than it is back home. Yes, much shorter flight, much cheaper flight. <laughs> What's it been like this year building up the squad? Because you've actually had a deeper squad. I've been told a bunch of newbies got given goes, particularly some of the smaller tournaments on the West Coast. What's it been like trying to keep that cohesion, particularly when you're so far spread apart? It really, the team itself, we're all, we're more than just teammates. We're family. We've had a lot of injuries this year and teammates will show up and take care of each other. Um, There's a lot of injuries now that, and girls are still committed to playing and 
and really it's just that family that we've established that has really given us the the chemistry in the field and off the field. Let's talk about the Nationals campaign. You got off to a flying start against your old rivals in Denver. We know they're a weakened side. They've got a lot of rookies now, so they're, they're on the rebuild process. A comfortable win to warm you up. Were you then shocked for what Seattle had in store for you when you went to that second round game and won by two points? Honestly, no. Seattle is an amazing team, hard hitters. Uh, we always know it's going to be a tough match. And they've put in the effort, they put in the work, and they're growing their game. And it's just amazing to see how far they've come along in such a short distance, uh, short time. And we really, honestly, we knew what we were getting ourselves into. And it just, it really took guts. Guts on our end, guts on their end. And it was good, good footy. Let's flash forward to the Sunday morning where you had the semi-final against Minnesota. A bit of history. They just missed out from knocking you off last year in a boil over. Nearing half time, they're ahead by two points. What's going through the mind of, uh-oh, we haven't scored yet? Yeah. Honestly, uh, we know that Minnesota, we have a hard time scoring against them. Um, they're very very much a defensive team. Um, this year, we I moved down to defense and we had some strong defenders and we're able to hold them back. And at that point, us holding them back, holding them back our mids and our forwards showed up and got some points on the scoreboard and really they they took it from there but it's a whole team effort it's not just one person and the maidens are really good at stepping up and really playing as a team to get the win when you played seattle last year in the grand final conditions rather different seven degrees celsius it was freezing cold and they, and they were short on play so they had a short bench so you just had to hold on and wear them down this year they came still four less than you but it's still pretty song side and a bench can you just talk us through not just the heat but the pressure that was applied all game on you it, it was hard they're they're big girls they're strong girls they they're smart their skills have really developed and it it just took a lot of effort on everybody's end to beat the heat we had a lot of i'm i'm an, i get the nerves um yeah. nerve uh nervous pukes uh and so just getting your electrolytes in and and really staying fit um getting your head in the game really that's the first step and everything else we have the skill set and i think that took us through for the win we talk about players that impress us uh, obviously we know katie clatt and the work that she's done for you across the heart back line a great get she's been for you for this season but the name that really stood out to us was annika stoll lane Yes, she comes from a rugby background and she, her boot is amazing. Some crazy kicks and it works for her so quick. You kind of, she's quiet. She's quiet, but she attacks and she's like a little sniper. Um, she is amazing and we're just so excited to have her. And how much of a relief has it been for Panda New to be in the ruck over the past couple of years? You haven't had to rely on, because obviously Carly Smolak retired, Brett Bauer can stay up forward and Margaret Leone, of course, doesn't have to go on the contest, only has to pinch it really. Panda has put in work and she is still growing and developing and has been a very key role for us uh, to be able to alleviate some of the larger girls, taller girls to be in the forward or in other roles. Um, so we're really proud of Panda. She's working on, on her game and really has stepped up a lot to help the maidens. We've seen at this tournament for the second year in a row, Erin Phillips has shown up. She handed you the cup last year. I'm not sure if she's still here or she might have had to duck off a little bit early. But what does it mean for you as women playing this niche sport over in America to have a champion of the game that actually lives part of her time here in the USA and actually taking the time out to come to these tournaments to watch you? 
We're starstruck. We love Aaron. And so this if if other AFLW players want to come out, you are more than welcome uh, to fly out and, and just watch this because you guys are our role models. We're doing this and growing this. Um, our thing is hashtag grow the game. We're on the pitch. We're all, you know, fighting to, to win. But at, off the field, we're all friends. All the women's teams are very supportive of each other. Um, and it's so fun to see the AFLW grow and for us to have such a good contingency here in the U.S., it means the world to us for her to be here and she gave us some really good insight um, and tips for to prepare us for the tournament and it's quite an honor to have them here. And what does it mean when she says the likes of which we've asked her in an interview and when she was commentating the DC Eagles game where she said she's noticed in the improvement in the quality of the women's game here, particularly the open play that we've seen this year? We've, we watch, we live, breathe, watch footy just as much as anybody in Australia and um, we go to each other's houses and watch it and so really watching them play, learning from them has really helped us to grow our game. Sarah, congratulations again. Four Division One titles in a row. You're now two-thirds of the way of matching Denver's record. Oh, we're ready. We're going for it. Joining us now is the veteran of the Philadelphia Hawks women's team, the one and only Erica Saki. Uh, Erica, three years, two flags. Not bad. Not bad at all. How did it feel being out there in that 16, it's now grown, 16 Division Two Women's uh, Championship and the pressure and the stand and how that's gone up? Um, I really can't emphasize enough how much the quality of women's footy has improved over the last five years. I haven't been involved in footy for that long, but even since I've been here, it has grown by leaps and bounds. Um, D2 was a hard-fought contest. I feel like it was evenly matched, and we had we had hard contests every single game. Um, everybody took it to us, and I I am so proud of us for winning. I recall that semi-final, first of all, against Montreal. Now, the scoreboard shows you won by about nine points. I think it was one four to one behind. But Montreal did not let up all game against you. Not at all. They definitely took it to us hard, and we uh, we reciprocated, but they never let down, and neither did we. If I look at that grand final, I think for, well, after they first scored, and then for maybe 30-plus minutes, the D.C. Eagles are in front. They're leading, they're leading, they're leading. What's going through your mind with about two, three minutes to play? So we, we talked at halftime about coming together, never putting our heads down, staying positive, really raising each other up and communicating on the field. And I think our team did that so well, just exponentially well. You know, we're a combined side, so it's always tough to really gel as a team. And I think we did that better than, than anybody else. And I think that was why we won. You kicked the goal. All of a sudden, the team is up by just, uh, what is it, five points. It's an absolute thriller. Then they get it down their forward line. 30 seconds to play. Can you talk us through those tense moments until relief, ecstasy when the siren goes? So my main thought was to just get to our defense and make sure that, you know, we, we had some rookie defenders back there. Um, Olivia from, from Arizona really, really held our defense together. She was thrown into that position. She was unfamiliar with it, and she really just did a spectacular job. So our thought in the midfield was just to get back there, help her organize help her communicate and hunker down for those three minutes and just keep that keep that lead and, and finish it out. Before I talk to some of the Arizona Hawks players, who actually impressed you from your own club as part of that combination? Oh man, 
I, I don't know that I can single out any any person. Um, I think we all left it out there in the field. Uh, Leslie Gardner, Lindsay Terse, Lauren Kelly all had games of their lives. Like they, they played phenomenally. I think we gelled together like crazy. Barb, um, you know, Barb Densey was like a, a stalwart back there in the defense. So we really had some some spectacular games. Um, our rookies, you know, Meg Chiodo and, and Rose Stokely. I couldn't have asked for better performances from them. And Lindsay Terse seemed to be like a human wheel clamp, could run down anything. <laughs> she doesn't stop. I don't know where she gets it. Uh, I promise she's not battery powered, um, but she never stops. She never lets up. She's relentless. Talking about a couple of Arizona Hawks players, one, first of all, a veteran who actually won it here three years ago in Div 1 with San Francisco, Melissa Wilhelm. Surprised to see, not in the midfield, but actually played more in the back line. And just her leadership and the things that we noticed off the ball, pointing and trying to set things up. Yeah, it was it was absolutely key having her back there, especially being in the center halfback position. You know, like I mentioned, Olivia was a, a rookie fullback. Um, so having Melissa's guidance and leadership back there to really kind of guide her through that defensive play uh, was absolutely crucial. And I'll say one name and you can say the rest, Danielle Marshall. Danny was spectacular to play with. I'm, I'm so happy and proud that I can say that I played with, with Danny Marshall from the you know AFLW Bulldogs. Um, but I really I really do think that it. I was afraid that it was going to be the Danny show and she was certainly an anchor in our midfield, but I really believe that it was a full team effort. I'll get, throw you another name and I'll ask you about her in a moment so much means to women's football but she did say the comment that if she hadn't done her knee yeah she wouldn't have mind running around for the texas heat how would you have felt to be going up against erin phillips if she did run out in your division uh i would have been proud to go against her and absolutely <laughs> terrified <laughs> <laughs> she's been here at the tournament she did a q a on friday night she was here all day saturday watched the women's games on sunday morning as well making comments about how the players opened up and improved since last year what does it mean for you personally as a women's footballer as the game's grown to have what some are calling the GOAT, the greatest of all time. She lives part-time in America and she's coming to watch your games. I can't tell you how much it means. I actually had the opportunity to chat with her uh, a little bit on Friday night and she was just so personable and, and really, really wanted to chat with us about footy in the United States and, you know, opening up about her life and, and her and her wife recently had kids. So just kind of bringing that family element into it and comparing our, our league with early AFLW play um, just meant the world. It, it really feels like we're... We're at the start of something really big in the United States in women's footy, and I can't wait for that to play out. Obviously, you beat the DC Eagles, but they look very, very close on numbers in becoming a Division One side if they can get that up. What does it mean to have a side so close to you in DC, pushing the standard? Obviously, you've got New York nearby, and they're trying to get numbers at the Columbus Cats. What does it mean to have that growing and trying to at least help the Philadelphia Hawks also grow in numbers? So it's uh, it's great having you know kind of being a central pivot point on the East Coast in Philadelphia, where geographically positioned, like you said, between New York and DC. So um, having that kind of pressure from both sides to, to gear up into a D1 team has really pushed us to recruit and I think we've grown every year. Our goal is to just bring more and more women every year and we've definitely done that. So we're growing a great side and I think our record stands. And I've asked Brian Barish off the mic about this question and I'll pose the question to you. Once you take that home that cup back home to Philadelphia, is there any chance you're going to pick up the phone, call the Philadelphia Flyers saying we need to get this in a photo with Gritty? 
Absolutely. If Gritty, <laughs> if if there's any chance that I can get in a photo with Gritty with the cup, that would that's just the, the cherry on top. <laughs> Erica, thank you very much. Congratulations, D2 champions again. Absolutely. Thank you, Peter. Joined here by not only the coach of the New York Magpies, but the coach of the USA Freedom. They'll be competing in IC 2020 in Christina Licata. Christina, I managed to just overhear what you were saying towards the Freedom squad. Can you just talk about, first of all, compared to 2019, the women's footy scene when you first started out in 2005 in the United States? I mean, it's just miles and miles away from what I saw. The first game that I played was nine aside. Now we have two divisions, and it's just amazing. And, and, and so we have standalone teams in D1. D2 almost is at that point, which is just... Just incredible growth in the amount of time and fantastic and and so like on the D1 side it was anyone's game on the D2 side it was the best competition that I've seen in my whole footy career which is pretty long <laughs> in comparison to like others let's talk about the D2 side of things we start to see players now obviously over the last few years from Texas growing programs in Dallas Houston Austin we see players coming down Atlanta Kookaburras out of the Nashville Kangaroos what does it mean particularly the game was always a I guess growing on the east coast and west coast but now in the south and in the north also with chicago north star blue ox columbus what does it mean with the game growing in that area yeah so i think that's super important obviously we want teams to grow to the point where they have standalone teams um but the the fact that there are all of these teams springing up everywhere there's actually more chances for competition the united states is a huge country and so dealing with a remote team is a challenge in and of itself and and, and we hope to tackle those challenges head on uh, and build a really strong camaraderie through this team. The talk has been a handful more numbers and the likes of Sacramento, the likes of the DC Eagles and over the board the likes of the Montreal Angels could all be back in D1. I absolutely 100% agree and I would love to see a 4x4 four four pool. Let's talk about D1 this year. We know the struggles were going to be Denver. There was a huge rebuild going on them. Luckily they're not struggling for numbers. They do have numbers so that is a good sign. But as we talk through the ranks, Portland fifth again hanging around in D1. The improvement from the New York Magpies, two wins, making semifinals football. Minnesota around again, troubling San Francisco for a half. Seattle, I came here in 2016. They teamed up with Portland. They had six players. Two years in a row, they are D1 grand finalists and the juggernaut, San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. So I think this just goes to show that this sport is for women who want to be competitive and that is why it keeps growing um, and, and and it's growing throughout the country on the east west central regions um, and and so like I think that the recruitment and retention of, of players is hugely important and in coaching women f since 2013 and building New York co-founding it in 2008 you know I just understand the importance of building strong cultures and I, and I think that that is what has happened across the nation um, to show this kind of growth. Just on that, are we starting to see that generation now, those that were playing in the early 
2010s and mid-10s, now finally coming to retirement and not disappearing from the game. The women, like we've seen with Carly Smolak, who led the San Francisco Iron Maidens, now starting to transition to the coaching role. And how important that is to have a female voice, not to discount what the men are doing, but to have that female voice that hasn't come out of Australia, has come through the US and knows the challenges of transitioning to the code. Yeah, I think that was what was unique about my position as somebody who has grown up in in the United States with this game. It's just we understand the level of learning that happens on an American standpoint, and it's miles and miles away from what happens on an Australian standpoint because that game has originated there. You're native to it. And so my intention is to really involve former players in this league in not only their home clubs but also the Freedom Program and, and, and just give women the permission to say, you may not know it all, but you can do it. It is an amateur sport, so the players do have to pay their own way to be able to come to Australia for all countries. It is a big expense. But how much do you now have of a choice of players compared to, let's say, many ICs ago would be, OK, whoever can just afford it, if we can scratch numbers together. How many did you almost have to knock back that didn't even make it to camp, let alone make it to the final 28-plus emergencies? Yeah, I mean, we started out with 125 women and, and 75 showed up to camp. So that shows you the kind of financial commitment it shows. So what I would say is donate. Please donate. <laughs> Please donate to the USAFL. You know, like, we want to grow this game. We want people to be able to go over and compete at a high level against other countries. Um, and and so finances is, is, is a big part of that, yeah. Let's talk about Erin Phillips for a moment because she donated a jumper, which is through Rally Up, to try and raise funds for the USA Freedom. She came to the USAFL Nationals last year in Racine. How did the initial contact happen between yourself and Erin? Yeah, so um, I had spoke with Doran, the Director of Operations within the USAFL, and um, he had suggested that maybe I have a conversation with Erin and just interview her and, and was able to do that on Friday night. I had met her last year at the USAFL Nationals nationals and um, she's just she's an absolute legend and just so open to the growth of football and, and a champion of of what we're doing here so it was a privilege and an honor to be able to speak with her and I hope to work with her in the future. Like she said she hopes to help in a way with the USA Freedom in the future whatever that may be obviously working around AFLW commitments and, and WNBA what do you hope to try and glean from a from a knowledge perspective or support perspective that can hopefully help the Freedom program grow? Yeah, I mean, there's just so much. I can't pinpoint one thing. Uh, I think that that what I reflect on is the level of uh, knowledge and expertise that AFLW players and coaches provide. Um, and even at the VFLW level, the freedom need to learn from that. I need to learn from that. I believe that we need to keep learning both as a coaching staff and as a playing staff. And so I'm game. Yeah, let's talk about that because Katie Klatt had already developed a handbook for you after her time at Melbourne University VFLW. You have another on the VFLW list in April Lewis at Essendon who, although played one game, can still glean from what happened in the, in the training and provide that information. Plus, of course, now as I say, Danielle Marshall, who's going to be playing AFLW with the Bulldogs. How important is that to pick their brains? I mean, incredibly important. I think, you know, our goal is to get more, more Americans over to Australia to play and get experience there. 
there because there's just nothing like it. Um, you know, as a remote team, we get together two times a year. I get to travel and see some regionals. We can have some camps. But going and living it and, and, and feeling the community that is AFL in, in Australia, there's nothing like it. So uh, I, I will have to pick their brains and I, and I um, encourage other women and, and men who are going over to talk to other Americans who have experienced that because it's critical to have an understanding of the cultural assimilation and, and what you're actually expecting, especially when you're trying to play at a VFLW level. When I spoke to Erin Phillips uh, during the DC Eagles game that we were calling against the Texas Heat, we talked about uh, the football that she said in 2018 in Racine compared to 2019 here. Obviously conditions very different, very cold in Racine, very hot here in Florida. But out of that, she mentioned how the play had opened up more, was less congested, there was more spread, there was more run and carry. Particularly for the freedom in IC 2020 when you've selected your side, how important is it to have that run and carry, knowing that, look, if you want to be a realistic chance of having a shot at that title, you've got to go through the Irish Banshees and the Gaelic footballers. Yeah, I think that is incredibly important and like part of our decision-making and selecting this team was coming with dynamic players who had a baseline of skills both in handballing and kicking uh, that we could continue to build on. We want to see people being functional on both sides of their body um, and having a really strong run-on and fitness program and that's what we've instituted in the training program and we'll continue to institute through the IC 2020. Now naturally you don't have to name names but you're obviously sitting here at the Nationals. You've got your list of how many you think of yep, absolutely making it and your list of who's going to make the cut who's not going to make the cut. How much, or for at least how many players, did their performance at the Nationals make a difference in your thinking going, I need her on my team? Yeah, so incredible. I think um, we we tried to be very data-based when we were reviewing these players from a camp standpoint, but also from a footage standpoint. And so we were able to see some people that we didn't necessarily see clearly at camp in that footage. I think that was incredibly important so that in and of itself probably turned uh, like five people for me in and of itself um, and then at nationals like I can I can name at least one person who uh, one game made her make the squad uh, we we were really intentional about watching the people that we thought were on the bubble and, and that was a group of about six people finally you saw the Division One Grand Final. It was of great standard. How are you excited for the future of USAFL women's football? And more importantly, when the freedom do come to Australia, for obviously Australians that are based here and they've got some free time around August when the carnival has happened, how can they help? So we would just love to be more visible in Australia. People are shocked when they hear that footy is being played in the United States. And so getting people out, um, we will definitely run some fundraisers. If you want some USA gear, we'll uh, try to... I know you sold out the beanies last time. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try to come up with some good swag for you all. So that would be that would be amazing. And, and, and you know, I think uh, just in terms terms of your question about the growth and excitement of women's football I think we're on the way up we're uh, like we just we keep growing the talent keeps improving and and as I said to this group of you know 36 women 
they're the leaders. They need to take ownership over the football. They need to take ownership over the, the women's competition, and, and I'm confident that they will continue to grow it. One bonus question. I did see that what it meant to them, the, the amount of tears and hugging. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I'm a hugger because there is a lot of hugs. Um, it, it's, it's very, it's a grueling process. I mean, you, you invest so much, and I think the camp that we ran in August was both physically and mentally taxing. And so these women have just shown great resilience, great strength, great camaraderie. And, and, and I'm just thrilled for what we're going to see over the next year. Congratulations on a great nationals. Now you're on the clock. 10 months to IC 2020. We're ready. We're going to be ready. Don't go anywhere. We've got more women's Australian rules football on RAC and Carnival coming up in just a moment. There's jumpers, hoodies and tees for you at Leaguetees.com.au is your place for retro footy gear with designs created by local artists that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, their unique range of women's footy tees help raise funds for Indigenous literacy programs. Get online and start shopping today. Leaguetees.com.au We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at ALNF.org. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, our final edition of 2019. I'm Peter Holden. Thank you very much for your company. 2020 AFLW is going to feature 18 Irish women at the time of recording that have signed contracts to play in the competitions. An extraordinary number, considering we only originally had Laura Jurea Corrigan uh, back in the original season. Then it rolled on to Cora Staunton, and then it just kept rolling through the Crosscoders program and to virtually have a full football side of players now uh, from Ireland in the AFLW competition. is absolutely fantastic, and it's no surprise they did very well at the AFL European Championships. Uh, the side did feature four AFLW players, so some clubs might want to listen to this interview to find out how their Irish women went and what could they expect of them in AFLW 2020. To Michael Corain. <laughs> Joining us on the line now here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Not only is he the head of the AFL Island Women's Competition, he is also the head coach of the Irish Banshees 2019 European Champions. It's great to have on the line Michael Curran. Mike, how are you? Hey, Peter. Very good, yeah. It's been a crazy couple of weeks over here. So, yeah, all very good. Congratulations, first of all. We'll immediately go to the European Championships, a stunning tournament. Not only did you manage to get revenge on the British, in fact, the British didn't even make the grand final, you didn't concede a single score all tournament. Yeah, it was an absolutely fantastic uh, week for the Irish Banshees and for our squad, Pete. Um, really good performance, really strong showing across all, all of the games um, from game one right through to game five in the grand final. So obviously, as uh, as our head coach, I'm absolutely chuffed and delighted with how that went. Uh, we are probably two years into a, a three-year cycle here, uh, where we've done an awful lot of work in terms of getting more girls playing and more girls through the the Banshees um, development system and, and getting half the nines and 
this was our first 18 aside competition in that cycle. So, yeah, absolutely thrilled with how it went. Talking about cycles, there's an interesting tournament coming in. You're up against uh, the reigning European champions in the Great Britain Swans. They'd had a number of turnover. They went with the younger side. A lot of their veterans had either temporarily halted playing or had retired. And then you're up against a new German Eagle side as well, which everyone was seeing for the first time in an 18-a-side format. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of um, new players on, across all the teams. And obviously, as you say, Germany playing their first 18-a-side um, so nobody really knew what to expect from each other. So it really was um, exciting on all sides. And I suppose from uh, from our end, yeah, um, GB Swans would have probably been pre-tournament favourites as defending champions and also playing at home. And of course, being the only um, league where there's there's 18 aside played on a regular basis. But uh, and also Germany, we were excited to see what the German girls brought after playing against them in the nines format in in Sweden in Euro Cup this year where they were probably our toughest game in that tournament. So, yeah, um, very exciting to see new players across the board. We had 27 of our 28 Irish Banshee players were playing um, 18 aside for the Banshees for the first time as well. So, um, huge turnover of players across all of the teams. In the end, it was the Great Britain Swans that finished third. You defeated uh, Germany quite comfortably in the grand final. I guess, uh, first of all, they want to know about some of the AFLW talent. You had four AFLW footballers play in that game. How did they go on their first run through in uh, 18 aside? And we should say with a little point that they, of course, be playing 16 aside when they come to Melbourne. Yeah, sure, PJ. Look, at it was uh, amongst those girls making their debuts, we had the four AFLW girls as well. So we had... Um, Kate Flood and Naoya Tai, who are heading to Fremantle Dockers. Maria Choiga, who has actually uh, gone to North Melbourne since Monday. And uh, Joanne Doonan, who's probably due to head out, I think, uh, either today or tomorrow, um, to Carlton as well. So, yeah, um, the girls were phenomenal across the week, as were all our players. Um, Kate Flood took out the Player of the Tournament Award. Uh, she kicked 15 goals across the four days, playing at full forward, and really looked like a strong key position forward so really exciting to see how she goes when she gets to Perth and also very strong performance from Anya Tai um, named as the Rook on the team of the tournament as well um, played a lot of games for us um, in Rook but also then um, as a full forward or a centre half forward as well so um, really good you know Maria Choiga playing off half forward Joanne Doonan playing off half forward flanks corner, corner pocket all the girls did really well so they were pretty chuffed to get some um, 18 aside games under the belt as well and get a bit more familiar for what the game is that they're going to be facing when they all land down under over the next few days. And how about some of the uh, talent that hasn't been signed yet to an AFLW contract? Who were some of those that impressed uh, for the Banshees during the tournament? Oh, we had a lot of good players uh, across the whole ground. Uh, um, a number of the girls were named on the, the team of the tournament there with Maria Quirk in defence. Uh, Maraid Coyne again very solid across the whole week playing out the centre uh, Dervla Higgins um, one of our players who has come up through West Air Waves Champions League Irish Universities Irish Banshees Nines um, playing in her first 18 aside named team in the tournament in the centre as well uh, Michelle Farrell again very good uh, obviously a very strong player in Euro Cup in Artalia and probably best on ground in the grand final over there um, was very solid again throughout the week uh, picked up uh, three goals uh, a goal a game across three different games um, then we had Maria Byrne, one of the other students from our Irish Universities team, playing across uh, centre-half forward. Very impressive. Um, 
Keith, Marie Keating, our most experienced player again. Um, great to have her on the field and uh, showing a lot of uh, experience and um, just generally how to play the game in the right position and take the right option and stuff. Great for our girls to see that. And then we had um, a lot of other girls that have come up from the university squad like Ali Coleman, um, Amy Clark, uh, Noel Connolly, um, a number of girls like that. Really, everybody really um, performed fantastically across the week. So it was great to see the mix of both uh, AFLW girls and some of our Irish university girls coming up and our, our Irish club players and everybody really gelling together as a good, solid squad and impressing from start to finish. And congratulations again to the Irish Banshees, your 2019 AFL European champions, uh, going along, of course, with their 2017 IC title. Um, around the same time, you were overlapping with the AFL Ireland Women's uh, Premiership. How did that finish up? Yeah, so literally the following weekend, um, we had our finals, our Harvey Norman AFL Ireland Women's Premiership 2019 finals. So um, the format for the day was it kicked off with a preliminary final between Cork Vikings and Dublin Angels, which was actually a repeat of last year's preliminary final as well. And that was a pretty good game with Cork Vikings coming out on top, 10 goals, 5 behind 65 to Dublin Angels, 4 goals, 1 behind uh, 25. So Vikings made it through to their um, their second grand final in a row and some impressive performances there. We had 3 goals for Claire Stevenson, 3 goals for Maria Quirk, one of our aforementioned Banshees, uh, a goal for Lauren Wiseman, Claire White, Olivia Arcades and uh, Melissa Bell. And for Dublin Angels, Ashlyn Gillespie, one of our, their most experienced players with two goals. Uh, Sinead Killeen, who was the best and fairest of AFL Netherlands Women's League this year, who was playing with Dublin Angels in our premiership and Sorsha Nolan. So a great game to get the proceedings underway. Vikings were through to their second grand final in a row where they'd faced the waves again. Uh, after that, then we had our our Premiership Plate Final for Kildara Sharks, our newest team, had qualified for that and they took on Dublin Angels and again, this was an absolute cracker of a game. Uh, it finished Kildara Sharks 10 goals, 6 behind 66. Dublin Angels 8 goals, 3 behind 51. So really right down to the wire in the final quarter. Um, I think it was pretty much tied at three-quarter time. Cracking game, uh, best on ground was Shauna Kendrick from... Kildara Sharks, who was both an Irish University and an Irish Banshees player at European Championships, with six goals, um, normally plays as, as a defender. So uh, she was up front, kicked six goals. So that was one of the performances of the day. Uh, we also had um, goals there from Louise Scully and Captain Melamori. And for Angels, uh, again, Ashley Gillespie with three, Sorsha Nolan with three, uh, Michelle Curley and Sinead Killeen with goals as well there. So um, a very entertaining game. Kildara Sharks took out some silverware their first ever season, which was fantastic to see. And that set us up nicely then for the grand final, West Clare Waves versus Cork Whiting. And again, it was the West Clare Waves taking out in a dominant performance and earning a spot once again in the Champions League come April next year. Absolutely, Pete. Yeah, it was, um, I know the scoreline doesn't show the intensity of the game, but it was on the scoreboard, uh, 13 goals, 13 behinds, 91 uh, for West Clare Waves to Cork Vikings, no score. So very dominant from start to finish. Um, very strong performance. Again, you had the likes of Anya Tai was best on ground and she went on to win the Premiership Best and Fairest overall for the competition. She kicked three goals. Uh, Rosie Coran kicked three goals in her first 
full day back from injury after her Champions League injury. Uh, Michaela Glenn, one of the up-and-coming young players, 18 years old, uh, two goals for the day and also finished second in the overall golden boot table. Mairead Coyne, two goals again, solid as always from the middle. Becky Mahan and Dervla Higgins. So uh, a range of goal scorers across the board. Um, very strong performances everywhere. But all credit to Cork Vikings, uh, despite uh, the scoreline, probably played their best football of the year. Uh, great intensity at the ball. Um, very good tackling, shepherding voice um, from start to finish. So, um, as I say, a lot a lot better contest than the scoreline suggests. But yeah, again, Westlair waves back-to-back Premiership champions and now heading to their third Champions League um, in April. So um, congratulations to Westlair waves. They continue to be the dominant force in, in Irish Aussie rules. And, and I guess that begs the question, what is the secret to the West Clare Wave success for being so dominant over the past number of years in AFL Ireland? I think it's a combination of a couple of things, Peter. Predominantly, the, the, the girls are, are based on, from, a, from a GA club. So on, on, on the grand final on Sunday, there were uh, six of them playing from the same GA club from Kilmetal, and they've had a very successful year as well. They've won the, the, their county title and have got to a Munster final and stuff. So, there's a core group of players there that are uh, used to playing with each other. They've now been playing all the rules together for uh, just under three years. And a lot of those girls, of course, now would have Irish universities experience, Irish Banshees, um, Euro Cup experience, and now Irish European uh, or European Championship full Irish Banshees experience, as well as those two um, Champions League tournaments. So I think they've just got better and better. Um, obviously, the likes of Anya Tai would have been a huge boost uh, to them this year as well. Um, but they just continue to, to produce the players and with a number of younger players coming through there, such as 18-year-old um, Michaela Glenn, uh, Emer Keane, 18, who was also played earlier in the competition. So, yeah, they're just doing a great job there. Obviously, it's a bit easier to recruit when uh, the successes keep coming, um, but they're definitely capitalising on that and getting new guys on board and continuing to build on success after success. Now, of course, this is the last time we speak to you for 2019. So as we begin to wrap things up, um, the year's not entirely over for Irish women's football. I believe there's a draft combine coming up later in the year. Uh, that's right, Pete. Yeah, there's the first AFL Europe um, women's draft combine will take place on the 7th or 8th of Dece- 7th and 8th of December. Um, the dates have been finalised, but um, some of the other details still have to be worked out in that. But yeah. An exciting opportunity um, and another opportunity for, for Irish players to be tested and to, to stick their hand up for potential selection for AFLW. Um, looking forward to 2021. Obviously, we have the 18 Irish players already signed now for 2020 and we're very much looking forward to seeing those in action, especially now as things seem to have been finally finalised and agreed in terms of the structure of the competition and that. So, But already um, the focus, I suppose, is turning to 2021 um, we we had a few girls over at the Combine in Melbourne a few weeks ago, and now the first ever AFL Europe Combine will take place in Dublin in December. So all very exciting and ongoing opportunities for girls to have a crack at um, getting signed for, for AFLW and play professionally. As you mentioned, a very exciting 2020. 18 Irish women signed to AFLW contracts at time of recording. Plus, of course, we've got the International Cup with dates and venue to be confirmed. We're possibly looking at August uh, once again in 2020 as you defend your title. Um, And when are we actually expecting things to start ramping up again on the Irish uh, women's local footy scene? 
So we're we're pretty much taking a breather now for the next two months. Uh, the grand final uh, effectively marks the end of our, our club season. And we'll probably kick off again in January with our um, Australian Tax Solutions Super 7s competition. There'll be a lot of stuff happening in terms of universities. Um, in the meantime, there, a few of the universities are, are training, training weekly at the minute. And we'll have, obviously, the AFLU Cup on the 8th of February in Oxford. And then we'll have Irish Universities Cup. And hopefully we'll have a, a second edition of the Universities International Cup for this time. Ireland will travel over to take on Great Britain Unis um, in England, possibly in London. So, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's our off-season now, but it's not going to be quiet for too long. And obviously, with AFL International Cup coming up, we're just super keen to hear a final date and venue confirmed for, for same. And then, obviously, from very early in the new year, we're going to be ramping up preparations for that. And um, lots of excitement in terms of potential on the squad now after the European Championship uh, so a huge year again to look forward to huge year just completed and a huge huge year ahead Pete so all very exciting Well Michael thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and we look forward to speaking to you again in 2020 Manny, happy return to see you and very much look forward to talking to you in the new year. Thanks as always. And that just about wraps up our final episode for 2019. I believe it's episode 42 for the year. I'm starting to lose count. We've done so many. And believe me, I'm looking forward to the two-month break. Before I go, there's a lot of people I do want to thank for their contribution to the program this year. I'll begin, first of all, by uh, AFL London slash AFL Europe. Uh, we had William Shillaber, Shannon Power and Maz Graham helping uh, report on the AFL London women's competition. Thank you very much for that. Thank you to Ant Wingard from AFL Queensland for reporting on the QAFLW competition. To Lauren Hodgson for reporting on the AFL Sydney women's competition week in, week out. Thank you very much, Lauren, for being generous with your time. As you heard earlier, Michael Corain uh, from the AFL Island women's competition. Thank you, Michael, for your reporting. Earlier in the year, Alison Schiller, who kept an eye on the Sanford women's competition. We look forward to catching up again with Ali in uh, 2020. To Brian Barish for being a great host when he's out there in Florida and for all the reporting he does on what's happening in women's football in the United States. Brian, thank you very much for all the work that you do uh, as well in promoting the USAFL uh, competition. Uh, as we go through our uh, honour board of uh, people to thank Lisa Kiwi Roper for being Coach Kiwi's kiss of death during the AFLW season in 2019. That was absolutely outstanding. We hope we get a repeat performance of that this year. And also to Matthew Cox, who's been our VFLW reporter for um, countless years. Um, couldn't do it fully this year. He has commitments now with Croc Media, and it's great to see his career on an upward trajectory. Thank you very much, uh, Coxie, for all the marvellous work that you've done on the podcast and also uh, during our Match of the Day coverage. And we hope to hear from him again in 2020. Uh, again, you can find out all about our team that do um, help with the program slash podcast and our radio calls by going to WARFradio.com. That website again, WARFradio.com. We have some grand plans for 2020. If they'll come true or not, <laughs> money hoping, who knows? But um, if not, don't worry. You will still have the same weekly program week in, week out, probably from sometime in January. And our VFLW coverage will be at least coming back again for its seventh season. For everyone that has downloaded, thank you very much. If you do have the time, if you happen to download this program via Apple Podcasts, please give it a rating. It really does mean a lot uh, if we have a review. And feel free to tweet us at any time. 
The Twitter address is WARF Radio. Again, our Twitter address, WARF Radio. Thanks again for RSN927 for hosting this program every Wednesday, 6 p.m. on their Carnival channel. Uh, They've been very generous and also in helping hook us up with the iHeartRadio app this year. Thank you very much for all your help. Again, I'm Peter Holden. I'm looking forward to a two-month break. I'll catch you again in January for the longest-running podcast on women's football. This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. See you in 2020.